Hello and welcome back to Cuban Serenade. We are Freddy Monasterio and Karen Dubinsky. In this episode, we're going to introduce you to saxophone player Luis Dennis. from Luis Denny's first album, El Tinejón. Freddie and I had the good fortune to attend his album release concert at Lula Lounge in Toronto when it came out in 2022. I don't think I've stopped listening to it since. It's been nominated for a Juno for Jazz Album of the Year. He's joined on this album by some terrific Cuban musicians who live in Canada. Rafael Zaldivar on piano, Ahmed Mitchell on drums, and Jorge Luis Torres, known as Papiosco, on congas. Canadian jazz veteran Roberto Ocapinti joins them on bass. Incidentally, Zaldivar is also nominated in this category for his album, Rumba, which Luis plays on too. It's a win-win combination. Jazz critic Raul de Gama wrote recently that Denny's caterwauling ululations sound like no other musician, certainly no other Cuban alto saxophonist, of whom you may have heard before. He compares him to John Coltrane. Luis Dennis is from Camagüey in central Cuba. He studied at the prestigious Escuela Nacional de Música in Havana. After graduating, he started a performing and teaching career in Cuba. He began winning awards and touring internationally. He arrived in Canada in 2004. Since then, he has continued touring through Canada and beyond and he teaches in two important music programs in Canada, Humber College and the University of Toronto. Dennis is as comfortable in the Cuban music world as he is in the Canadian jazz world. We spent some time talking with him about these labels and how musicians like him move between them. He also told us some powerful stories about his history in Cuba and his transition to Canada. Luis's childhood friend was the pianist David Bidelles, who came to Canada as a teenager to work with Jane Bonnet. He credits Bidelles, who is now in New York, for helping him relocate. He was very instrumental in, in you know, sort of putting him in the right places. I also started working with Hilario and, and everybody else, like, right away. But David was different because he was brought by Jane when he was 17, and he went to UFT for a year, and then he went to Humber. So he graduated. So by the time I showed up, he had just graduated. And, you know, even in Cuba, he could... He had done all of his homework. He could sound like, you know, he could sound like, like, like the old bebop players. And then, of course, when he moved to Canada, um, he was introduced to a lot more information, hang out with people. He could speak the language. And I remember him having this conversation with me saying, like, okay, if you, if, if you want to play jazz in Canada, there are two things, two main things that you need to do. One, you, you need to be able to speak English. People are really cool here. No one's going to make fun of you. Everyone's cool. They're not friends. 
but you need to be able to communicate. Why? The people that play jazz here are Canadian. You, you might find one or two from this place or that place. You don't introduce yourself in that world. You know, do that. And then, and then the other one is like, you have to be integrated. You can't show up at a rehearsal, you know, unprepared and two hours later, like you do in Cuba. It, it doesn't work like that. People will give you one chance and then everyone will be nice to you, but no one would ever call you again. I actually, before I came, I had applied for a scholarship at Berkeley and I got a full ride and the Cuban government didn't let me go. So I lost my scholarship. Wow. And I was also supposed to do a tour with a very famous American saxophonist who lives in Paris, David Murray. He had a big band in Cuba that he recorded in Cuba, taking Cuban musicians with him. So I was going to do like um, 20 something, um, you know, European jazz festival circuit thing. And they also didn't let me go. That's when I got really pissed off and I defected here because you know, I just, I had enough. So, because I mean, I, I never really talked about politics, but of course, politics found a way to mess with my life. about the kind of jazz training and exposure he got as a student in Cuba. My, my whole goal was that in, in recent years, and recent meaning almost 20, but, you know, when I, when I was coming up, there, there was an influx of Latino musicians in the jazz world. You know, you got people, especially people from Puerto Rico, you know, you got David Sanchez, Miguel Sanon, and then Danilo Perez from Panama. These were people were very integrated in the New York jazz scene. They yeah. tour and have done things with everyone. So it was possible. So I would say that the people that I was hanging out with, my generation of the National School of Arts, was the, was the one generation in, in Cuba, if, if I may dare say so, um, that, that was really trying to play jazz the mm-hmm. right way and, and with the goal in mind, to be in between those people. Not like, oh, I'm, I'm Cuban, I'm just gonna stay here, yeah. right? No, 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 no. I wanna, I wanna sound like they sound and, and still keep my thing. Like you don't, you, you, you don't, you never get rid of yourself. You're stuck with yourself, which is a good thing. Arturo O'Farrell, a jazz musician in New York, son of Havana jazz musician Chico O'Farrell, is one of many who has stressed the long-standing affinities between Cubans and the jazz music world. O'Farrell has been quoted saying, the music we call jazz is Cuban, and the music we call Cuban is jazz. We asked Luis what he thought about this. I know where he's coming from, and, and I, do, I do agree with him. See, the thing is that if you, if you, know, if you know anything about history and geography, then, then you'll know that all the, all the 
ships, the slaves that were coming from Africa, you know, being the Spanish or whatever, or, or the British, you know, they were all making their way from Africa to the Caribbean and then New Orleans. So, so if you actually go, the, it's funny that we're having this conversation because they, they were talking about this, you know, uh, they, if you go to New Orleans in, in like very traditional jazz and ragtime and stuff like that, they have clavis. They came, they came with the slaves. So, you know, it's, uh, it's not that jazz is Cuban and Cuban is jazz, you know, the, per se, but our, our DNA, it's very much the same. Yeah. So if you, if you go digging, you're going to find a lot of things that are the same. And then where it changes is that we were able to keep our drums. In North America, the British are a lot smarter. So they figured out that slaves could communicate with drums. So they took the drums away and they sent them to church. And that just created a whole different thing, right? Which, which is beautiful because now we can mix both. And, and when you put them both in the same room, you can see, you know, you can see that, that common DNA. we have spoken to, such as Alexei Barreau and Alex Cuba, Luis was clearly determined he wanted to integrate into the Canadian music world without losing his distinctive style. We asked him about what the Canadian jazz world looked like to him when he arrived. I think before coming here, prior to coming here, I met Jane Burnett once when I was a student in Cuba. Mm -hmm. and But Jane's music has been largely all about Cuban music. Right, she, you know, her and her husband have all these bands that are basically given. They just integrate themselves onto that particular musical situation. And then I met Roberto Gipinti, you know, who I'm, I I knew of, and he also worked with Jane, but he also had his own groups and stuff. So I didn't know a whole lot. I mean, you know, that we would go to Cuba and he would tell me things and he would play me CDs and things like that. So when I arrived here. I just saw a very high level, like, you know, there, there, there is an extremely high level of musicianship in this country. It's extreme, right? It's just that, you know, culturally, it's not a, it's a place that pushes at all. So it constantly, constantly goes under the radar to a point where it's so annoying. But, I mean, things are the way they are. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be the one to change them. Unfortunately, so so yeah, I I was I was very excited because I was playing with a lot of musicians that were great, and I still do constantly. Like I I say it, you know, Toronto Toronto is it's a it's a pool of great musicians. Not only Toronto, Montreal has a lot of great musicians too. <laughs>
had some interesting things to say about the different musical cultures he's encountered in Cuba and in Canada. Being super patriotic and things like that are things that in Canada are not very, they're not well looked at. People always criticize the French and they criticize the Americans and all that. And, and from where I'm coming from, that's exactly what's needed for a country or a pool of artists to be brought up. This, this, is, this is why we struggle so much here, because, I mean, you know, uh, Canadians on any given day would much rather not use their ears and pay someone, uh, you know, uh, uh, whatever, uh, a rock band is coming from Chicago. If they're coming from Chicago, they must be way better than anything we have here. And it, it's really weird feeling for me because I did not grow up like that, you know, and I, I, I've actually thought about this a lot. And it's, it's weird. Everything in Cuba can be, can be traced back to politics. You know, as a, as a child, I remember seeing Fidel Castro on TV and, you know, he would do these speeches and there would, sometimes there would be 14 hours long to 24 to like, there was one day where he spoke for two days straight. And, you know, you constantly, you, you grew up hearing exactly the opposite of, of what you hear here. Like, you know, Canadians have a very interesting uh, relationship with Americans. They're, they're the bigger brother. They have a lot of respect and they're like, you know, intimidated with them. I grew up with a crazy guy on a microphone saying, let them fucking come. Let them come. We're going to fuck them up. We're going to kill them all. We're going to show them who's boss. And even if you, even if, if he was crazy, that gets in your brain. So you, you go out into life with a complete different perspective. So I've never felt like, you know, okay, sure, they're Americans. They're people, you know, it's America. Okay, if you needed to get there to do your thing, then you do that, right? But I, I've never felt like, um, you know, intimidated or anything like that. So the same amount of pride and, and patriotism that Americans have, it's what Cuba has. Yeah. So I guess all, all of this is to say that when you play in Cuba, even when you live in Cuba, there's, there's always so much support. There was never money, but there was always so much support. There's nowhere you can go in Cuba after, after you play two concerts and you sign a good. Everyone's walking around going, you're like, oh, look at this guy. He's going to be the next, like the greatest next thing, you know? There is that, where in yeah. Canada, it's just like complete silence. And sometimes I play concerts and I have no idea if people really liked it or not, you know, because... Canadians are very quiet. They're, they're very polite. We're looking forward to hearing more from this talented sax player. He told us he's working on a project with Pavlovsky, the great Q&Tres guitar player who you hear on the intro to our podcast. They plan to integrate the Q&Tres into a jazz recording. That's sure to make a splash. We'll end with a bit more from El Tinajón. Hasta pronto. Hasta pronto.